Thank you, praise team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen. Lord bless you. You can be seated if you haven't already. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. Welcome to Bible study. All of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in and bless you in Jesus' name. We honor you and amen. Isn't God awesome? Hallelujah. Well, I'm certainly excited for all the great things that are happening and uh, just looking forward to what God's going to do. Just uh, want to tell, tell you what happened today real quick before we dismiss. Um, I was here and I typically am alone uh, during the day other than Jesus being with me and UPS occasionally and the mailman and Brother Sal comes in on Mondays and Thursdays and, and, and does the books. And other than that, it's, it's just, you know, me and uh, praise the Lord. Well, today I heard this noise at the front door. I'm like, who's trying to come in? <laughs> it weren't someone trying to come in. <laughs> Somehow a squirrel had got in here and was trying to get out. <laughs> and so, thankfully the sanctuary was closed. And so I ran down and closed the downstairs door so he wouldn't run down there. And I, I finally got him running towards the admin wing, had that door wide open, and he scurried across the parking lot. And so... Praise God. I was thinking the whole time that happened, though, I'm like, thank you that God that didn't happen tonight during church. That'd be awkward, you know, kind of like Ray Stevens song, the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, you know, praise God. So anyway, um, but the Lord is good. So, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our, our children and our uh, teens, brother Joey was going to be here tonight for a timely 10, but uh, he is home. Family is not feeling well, so he is there. Keep them in our prayers in Jesus' name. Um, but all of our teens and children and nursery, all that, thank you so much, all of our staff. Praise God. I'm going to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 31. And that's where we're going to uh, start tonight. However... We're going to then jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, and that's where we're going to spend uh, the the bulk of our time in the Word of the Lord tonight. I'm continuing what my wife uh, launched on the first Wednesday of this month on Safe Connections, and tonight my title is simply Safe Connections We Become. Last week, Safe Connections You Belong, and tonight we become. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. I was reading from the New King James. The King James says, covet earnestly, which means to desire. Um, But desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your church, not mine. You and your word alone can save, deliver, and heal. You know every need, every struggle, every issue. Your word is appointed and anointed for this very moment. So on the authority of your word, I bind every spirit of hindrance, and I loose your anointing to fill this place and bring clarity. For without you, I am nothing, so let there be a demonstration of your spirit and your power. Confirm your word with signs following, and let me walk in your spirit and not my flesh. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. This year, our theme, our vision, if you will, uh, encompassed with all that we are and and who we are, is others. 
So what comes to mind when you hear that word, others, or when you see it on the postcard or hashtag on a post from the church on social media? As you're hearing this series, hopefully that word, others, gives you a sense of hope that TCOO is a safe place of connection. When I think of others, I think of verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, the more excellent way. I see here the need for the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And obviously, I see here that we need to desire the various gifts as well that are mentioned, beginning at verse 28, the apostles, prophets, etc., the helps, and so on and so forth, in order for the church to continue functioning and be successful and efficient in each local assembly and community. But yet, it's interesting that here, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say, go ahead and desire those best gifts. Go ahead and long for them. And yet, I'm going to give you an excellent way, a more excellent way. And it's not Paul doing it. We know it's Jesus. In fact, Jesus, 13 times in His earthly ministry, said, love one another. He also, many of those times, gave a further clarification as... I have loved you. We know that love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul writes that in Romans. James writes that in his epistle. And Jesus himself recorded in Matthew 22 when he's asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? He says, of course, it's hero is the Lord your God is one Lord. Serve him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus blows everybody's mind. He says, and the second is equal or like unto it. It's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, hang or hinge or depend all the law and the prophets. So love is the fulfilling of the law. So what is the more excellent way? Well, it's love in a simple word. Let's look, take a look at the love chapter. Hollywood have the love boat, but the Bible has the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Those are some powerful words. Then he says in verse 4, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. If you're not convicted yet, hang on. You're about to be. Verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Wow. Verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. By the way, you want to know why love lasts forever? God is love. Y'all are smart people. Man, I'll tell you what. 
Verse 9, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. What he's saying here is literally, when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns, we won't need the gift of prophecy anymore. We won't need tongues and interpretation. We won't need gift of understanding and wisdom and miracles and healing. Why? Because it will all be perfected then. Ah. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. I can't wait for that day. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Notice that God knows me. One of the key elements of this series that my wife and I are doing, and even what she is working on, and we're working on together that'll just not be on our podcast, but, but further to help the body of Christ here and abroad, is that at the heart of relationships is to be known and to know others. And here, just as God knows me completely. And then look at verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So the more excellent way is chapter 13, and in one word, is love. So, when you realize that you belong, what I taught last week, and you unite in love with others, then together we become God's intended purpose for our community. No one of us can do it by ourselves. We need each other. Are you ready? You need the church, and the church needs you. So together, let's become. Well, what happens when we become? Let's go to Ephesians 4 to begin answering that question. Ephesians chapter 4, and like I said, we're going to kind of park and stay there. I might refer to others, but pretty much we're going to stay here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 tonight. And uh, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to keep reading from the New Living Translation. I like how it just kind of plainly sets it out there. So if you don't have that with you as your physical Bible, I do apologize um, next time I'll give you fair warning so you can bring one. Um, but if you do have a phone, you Bible app, you can open up New Living if you'd like to do that as well. Just don't be Googling or emailing or anything else while I'm preaching. Otherwise than that, you can look at your phones. Praise God. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church. Notice, the body of Christ, by the way, notice that it's a singular purpose for the fivefold. That's to equip, train, educate, and empower. Equip kind of encompasses all of that. It's, it's the element of, of preparing them, uh, of, of credentialing them, you know, if you will, in some sense, and releasing them to serve. So that in their service, that the work of the ministry is completed... And the body of Christ is built up and edified together. I hope you understand, I can't do it all, nor would I want to. You need the church, and the church needs you. So, because we understand that we belong, the first point I want to make tonight is we become more effective 
for Christ. I, I want to say this, and I know that the generation after me, by and large, is downstairs or in the, the kids' wing. Uh, some of you are younger than me here tonight, uh, but the more birthdays I have, well, praise God. But to the generation that follows me, here's, here are my words. I want my ceiling to be your ground floor. I believe the best in you. I want the best for you and expect the best from you. I've told that to my kids. I've, I've told that to men and women that I've trained and, 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 and released into ministry. That's my heartbeat. I don't want it to stop with me. If it does, it's going to be impotent. But if it grows, if the legacy continues, it will outlive any one of us. You belong to a church where the five-fold ministry strives and desires to educate and equip and empower you to be effective. We want you to do the ministry that Christ has called you to do. If God's called you to sing or teach children or help with recovery or be a part of some small group and serve in some element or be on the connection and first impressions team or just keep the property clean, you belong to a church where you can become all God has called you to be. I mentioned this last week, but every Sunday and Wednesday, you hear Pastor Trevor say something to the effect of, if you want to serve, please see Pastor Lucas, Sister Jackie, Sister Shannon. There's a screen uh, that, that comes up when he says that, and he points out to them, and they raise their hand. Again, it's not just to fill time and space. They're, truly, if you want to serve, talk to one of them. Come talk to me. Let's find you a place to serve. They're not just words. They are deeds and actions that mean something. When you watch us honor the volunteers of the month, you hear us say something to the effect of so-and-so embodies the core values of the church. And, and oftentimes in the, in the social media posts and even in the words we say, we will include at least parts of that. They, they connect with God by doing thus and so. They serve others by doing thus and so. Because we're wanting people to understand, again, that's not just words to put along the building somewhere uh, to look pretty. Our core values, the foundation of which the Church of Omaha is built upon, is to connect, grow, serve, and lead. And so we become more effective when all of us, not some of us, but all of us embody these core values. When you read through the book of Nehemiah, especially chapter 3, I notice something very beautiful and powerful there, is that everyone except the nobles served and built and helped get the wall done. I don't know who those nobles were, but I don't want to be like them. I don't care how noble they were. They were pretty unnoble in their action of not unifying with everybody else. So embody the core values. Remember, it's the whole church sharing the whole gospel to the whole world. The second thing we become is united and mature. Let's go to verse 13 of Ephesians 4. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I'm not in competition with any other church, period, in or out of the UPCI. I'm in competition with myself, to be better than I was last year. 
Amen? As a pastor, and I haven't heard it for a long time, and uh, I hope I never do ever again, but, you know, growing up early in my early years of ministry, uh, you would hear questions like, hey, how many are you running? I hated that question. It just, it, it bothers me. Is that, the, is that the benchmark? I'm running 250. I'm running 500. You know, does that mean I'm better than you or worse than you? What's it mean? Right? Now, we do take attendance and we do keep track of those things for, for you know, reasons of growth and, and, and goals and objectives. But I'm much more concerned with how many of you are getting what's being taught and practicing it than I am how many of you are sitting on blue chairs. Does that make sense? And so the, the real question among pastors doesn't need to be how many you're running. The real question needs to be how many people are becoming disciple makers? How many people are embodying the core values of the Word of God and, and being better than they were the year before? That's the real question. Answer me that, and then we'll talk about how many we're running. I used to say when I was in Caribou, uh, I run between eight and 9,000. Because on any given Sunday, we'd have at least eight. And in Caribou and the surrounding areas, about 9,000 people. So between eight and 9,000, somewhere in that ballpark. I suppose with Omaha, I could say between eight and a million, I suppose, because we're almost a million. So, right? Between eight and a million, somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> Point is, what's it matter? I heard one preacher say, asked him, said, how many are you running? He said, all of them. <laughs> there. Quit asking dumb questions. Okay, we become more united and mature. We measure up to the full measure and standard of Christ. This is what it means to become. We will grow numerically. Praise God for that. But we measure our success by our sending capacity, not our seeding capacity. We measure success by how many saints are disciple makers. That's why you hear Pastor Trevor say X amount of Bible studies have been taught. And from that, by the way, we have about 30 to 35 people that are teaching Bible studies. Praise God. I'd like for that to be 70. I'd like for that to be 100. I'd like for that to be everybody teaching a Bible study. So we use Ephesians 4.13 as that measure. Are we measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ? If not, let's go back to what the Bible says and do that. That's the measuring stick. That's the benchmark. And by the way, unity is neither union nor conformity. A marriage is a union, but every married person in this room knows that you're not always in unity. Right? We have some veterans, and, and in the military there's conformity. But that doesn't mean you're unified all the time. Right? So unity celebrates our differences. Unity accepts the differences that we have and uses them to be better. Unity says this, I'm good at A and you're good at B, so let's get together and be better together. That's what unity is. It's not, oh, I'm not good at B, so I can't be him or her. No, it's working together to say, hey, if the two of us connect, we're going to be even that much stronger. It creates this beautiful mosaic, this diversity of the church becomes a beautiful mosaic called the body of Christ that reveals His glory to the world. Uh, I believe it was last month you heard 
uh, pastors Jeremy Cole and Trevor uh, Wilder teach uh, on the subject of maturity. That was last month, right? Yeah. And, and did a great job explaining that and, and exploring that topic and theme. Well, we want to be mature in Christ. We want to grow. So the more you realize that you belong, the more we become united and mature. As a Christian, you have everything you need to be what you ought to be. Spiritual maturity is not a process of gaining things that you did not have when you became a believer. Let me explain. A newborn baby is, is born, and pending that it has its five fingers and toes and all that, right, and all the limbs, it has everything it's going to need. Am I correct? Now, over time, that will develop. That child will grow in stature. Those arms will lengthen. Those legs will lengthen. Those bones will stretch. All of that will take place. But it already has everything it needs. Even the brain will develop. Am I correct? When you're born again, it's the same. You have everything you need to mature. The process is just having what you... Using what you have and growing in it. It's not like you're getting things. You know, an infant, you know, doesn't get an arm at, you know, right arm at, at four months and a left arm at five months and a right foot at, no. It has it all when it's born. You have it all as you're born again. It's just the process of working that and maturing in that to become more effective for the kingdom of God, more mature. But just as you can arrest your development physically, so can you even spiritually. We, we know sin will, will arrest that development. Uh, we know that other things, you know, a, a lack of desire. And, and, and we'll, so we then have to be the ones to change that and say, I'm not going to let those things stop me from becoming what God wants me to become. Number three, <clears throat> we become solid in our understanding of God's truth. Verse 14 of Ephesians 4. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away, uh, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So because we understand that we belong, we become more effective for Christ, we become united and mature and solid in our understanding of God's truth. So Ephesians 4.14 first reveals God's truth pertaining to theology. Theology, theos, God, ology, study of, right? It first reveals that truth. The more you realize that you belong, the more you become uh, solid in understanding who God is and His truth. We grow in grace. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We develop and understand how this verse connects to that verse, and this verse is a cross-reference to that passage, and so on and so forth. But Ephesians 4.14 also reveals God's truth to believing what He says about you. This is where some of that uh, mental and, if you will, scientific work that my wife talked about on the first uh, Wednesday comes from, where you rewire your brain no matter what happened to you, no matter how you were raised, you have the ability to rewire your brain to, to better understand, to become. And so Ephesians 4.14 is also 
that understanding of God's truth. We need to say it often and mean it. I am who I am says I am. You've heard me say this many times. Satan can only speak to you from your past. That's why he's the accuser of the brethren. But God speaks to you from your future. So let's do what Paul did. Let's forget those things which are behind. And let's press forth and reach for those things that are before us to that high calling in Christ Jesus. We have to identify the enemy's lies, replace them with God's truth, and then boldly declare His word. This action leads to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is how we bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That is how we believe and declare God's truth together. And the more you realize you belong, the more we become stronger and solid in our understanding of God's truth. Number four, we become more like Christ, revealing Him. Verse 15 says, instead, <clears throat> we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. Christ is the benchmark. Christ is the goal. We want to become like him. We want to look like, act like him. Talk like, live like, believe like him. That's the goal. And so because we understand that we belong and we become more effective for Christ and we are united and mature and solid in our understanding, then we reveal Christ to our community. We become reflectors of His glory. Just as the moon reflects the sun's light, so we reflect the S-O-N's light. Paralysis means that the body does not respond to the brain's signals. I've heard and read of stories of paralytics who wanted so badly to, to move their bodies and, and, and they would do everything they could to send signals, if you will, and, and in their mind, their hands are moving, their feet are moving, but they're not because they're paralyzed. Somewhere there's a disconnect, paralysis. It's the same in the body of Christ. If we're not moving and functioning according to what Christ says... There's a disconnect between the brain and the body, the head and the church. So the more you realize that you belong, the more we become like Christ and reveal Him. And the more we become like Christ, then our coworkers and our classmates and our friend, family and our friends see Jesus through our daily lifestyle. And notice the growth strategy of verse 15. You know, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of uh, phone calls and different things about, you know, this new growth strategy. You want to grow your church, you know, and do this. And, 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 and some of them are valid and some of them are just trying to get your money. Uh, but look at the growth strategy of verse 15. We will speak the truth in love. We're not going to shy away from the truth, but we're going to say it in love. Does that make sense? I, I, I mean, I could explain it even deeper, but, the, but it, there, there's a, it's not either or. It's not all love and it's not all truth. It's, it's balancing, merging the two together. Number two, it's growing in every way more and more like Christ. So it's looking inward. How can I grow? 
How can I be better? How can I deal with my hurts, habits, and hang-ups and become better? Because if, if I become better and I'm a part of the body, then the rest of the body can also become better, right? That's what it's saying here. This also means we never stop growing. My grandpa Mowdy used to say, the day you stop learning is the day you're dead. Well, what he was saying was, never stop growing. Never stop learning. I, I never want to get to a place that I have arrived. Come and see me. I have all the answers. No. I constantly want to grow and develop and what can I do better and how can I study more? How can I become more? I want to reveal Christ to my community. Number five, we become a healthy, loving, and growing church. Look at verse 16. He, he is Christ here, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Just like we discovered last week, he puts us where he wants us. He knows how to fit us together perfectly. And watch, as each part does its own special work. I'm not going to try to do your job. I'm going to do mine, and you do yours, and together we're doing our own special work. Watch what happens. It helps the other parts grow. Huh. So you mean I become more effective when I do what I'm called to do, and you do what you're called to do? Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Look at that. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Well, sir. Wow. You've heard me say it before like this. If we do what the Bible says, we'll get what the Bible... Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever used a hammer in the, in the building? Anybody watching online? Wave your hand. You've used a hammer, right? Anybody know what a hammer is? Everybody know? We're good. good. Now, can you imagine if I needed to hammer something into the pulpit and I'd try to use my Bible? I mean, I guess it's, it's possible. Like, you know, I don't think it's going to be very effective, though, is it? But if I go get a hammer... And I pound, it's going to be a lot more effective. Well, we do what we're called to do and not try to do somebody else's calling or gifting. Then we're going to grow. And watch what happens. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Show me that in a church and I'll show you a church that's what Jesus wants. No matter what their name is, no matter if they have pews or chairs, if they have two services on Sunday or one, show me that, and I'll show you an effective church that Jesus is pleased with. So because we understand that we belong, we become more effective for Christ, united and mature, solid in our understanding of God's truth, and revealing Christ to our community, resulting in a healthy, loving, growing church. Christ is the one that makes the body fit together perfectly. He knows where we will be most effective. That's why we should never wish for someone else's role. Part of the trans agenda that is in our society today is to believe you can be something that you're not. To want to be something that you can't physiologically be. Well, the same applies here. Folks, I could walk over here 
Where, where's the volume? Donnie, turn this up. Is that the volume? You know, I could, I could hit some. I could hit a few chords. I could, I could sound. I even learned one time, you know. Something like that. But you don't want me playing the keyboard this Sunday. It's not my job. I need to turn that back down so nobody freaks me. Now I can sing it. Are you with me? This is where I'm most effective right here. Because this is what God's called me to do. God ain't called you to be a preacher. Please don't beg to be one. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, I think I want to be a pastor. I said, oh, no, you don't. Because <laughs> if you've got to think about it, <laughs> trust me. And I'm not saying I don't love what I do, but I'm just saying if I weren't called to this, I wouldn't do it. Okay? Growing up, I wanted to be a truck driver. And then I wanted to be a firefighter. And then I wanted to be an astronaut. Then I wanted to be a dinosaur. I mean, you know, so, there's a lot of things I wanted to do. And when God called me to preach, I thought I was going to be this evangelist that just traveled everywhere and preached. Go in and preach for three nights and go somewhere else. And then God says, no, I want you to pastor. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, I know you're God and all, but really? Yep. <laughs> and I love what I do. Still get nervous. I still labor over decisions I have to make. I thank God for a pastoral team that I can can share some of that load with and, and they can impart wisdom. I thank God for a help meet that, that can impart wisdom to me. I thank God for a covering over me that I can lean on in, in those times. But the point is, I love what I do. And, and, and I'm effective when I'm doing it. And when you do what you're called to do, you're effective doing it. Trust me, you don't want anybody right now but Brother Sal being the treasurer of our church. Let me brag on him for just a minute and tell you why. First of all, this man learns stuff at like rapid fire rate, okay? Second of all, he, while he does everything electronically, he also does it by hand. You might think, well, that's double the work. I'm glad he's done double the work because there's been three times the bank been wrong, has been wrong and he's been right. And he's found the money before they did. And been able to show him it's right here. You keep doing it your way, Brother Sal, because you are smarter than a than hundred other people that, that think they got it figured out. But we need him doing his job there. Does that make sense? And when we're all working together, guess what? We're a lot more effective. And we're healthy. And we're growing. And we're full of love. That more excellent way. You see, God wants us to complete each other, not compete with each other. When we trust God and become what He wants us to be, we result in a loving, healthy, growing church. There was a romantic book enthusiast who one day happened to see through the, the glass window from the outside looking in a book with the title he could see. It said, How to Hug. And being that he was one who loved physical uh, touch, he, he was intrigued and went inside and pulled the book off the shelf, thinking, oh, this is going to be a great book, only to realize it was an encyclopedia covering the subjects, how to hug. It was a seven-part series. He was in the H's. 
When people come to the church of Omaha hoping to find hope and healing, let's not give them an encyclopedia of information, but rather let's show them authentic love. For safety reasons, mountain climbers rope themselves together when climbing a mountain. That way, if one climber should slip and fall, he would not fall to his death. Rather, he would be held by the others until he could regain his footing. The church should be like that. When one member slips and falls, we don't single them out. We don't cut the rope and let them fall to their death. Instead, we stay put, allowing them to regain their footing, being roped together by the Holy Spirit. Amen? As members of the body of Christ, um, you might compare us to pieces of a puzzle. Each piece has protrusions and indentations. Let's assume for a minute that the protrusions represent our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our strengths, you might say. And the indentations represent our weaknesses, our faults, our limitations, our shortcomings, our undeveloped areas of life. Here's the beautiful thing about those pieces. You have one piece that, that's the protrusion, the gift, and you have one piece that's not. And, and you link them together, guess what happens? This strength helps this person's weakness. Huh. Pretty neat, huh? The beautiful thing is that the pieces begin to complement one another, producing a beautiful whole. Just as a, each piece of that puzzle then is important, so each member of the body of Christ is important and ministers to other members. Just as when one piece is missing from that puzzle, its absence is obvious and can damage the picture. So also the whole of the church is weakened when we are absent from our part in the body of Christ. And just as when each piece of the puzzle is in place, any one piece is not conspicuous but blends in to form a whole picture, so it is with the body of Christ. I like puzzles. They can be fun, be entertaining. You can have family time, good mind exercise, overall general excitement, right? Uh, if you're like me, I try to get to all the corners first and you know, establish that so I know where everything is going to go. And, and, and I'll sometimes even separate by color and, and, and start whatever. You know. But, but I, I like them. Uh, they, they teach us how to work together. They show us that a picture can develop one piece at a time, creating a masterpiece. I'm thankful that we're all different pieces. I said it last week. I'll say it again. If we're all the same, we're boring. Yet, together they feel a unified singular goal. What's that goal? To portray the beauty of the Creator. And there's a lot of things about puzzles that I think we should remember which compare to God's church, and here's what they are. No one piece is more important than any other. A single piece cannot and does not and will not explain the whole puzzle. If I give you one piece of a puzzle tonight, and all you saw was just the brief little whatever colors picture is on there, you're not going to know what the other 999 or however many other pieces are. You're not going to know what that is. 
you will only see the complete picture when all the pieces are connected in their proper place. And watch this. Isolation does not occur because all of the pieces connect to other pieces. We can learn a lot from puzzles. And that is this. Without our fellow laborers, we're just one single person, piece, unit. But when we connect to others, a greater purpose is fulfilled. Whether you're the corner piece, a center piece, the, the most colorful piece, or whatever, just be the best piece that you can be and connect to others, fulfilling your purpose together. And as we have said through the scriptures and looking here and, and looking in 1 Corinthians as well last week, why don't we let the master place us where he desires? He knows best. In fact, he can see the whole picture before it is complete, before it even begins. So let's connect to his will, to his purpose, to each other, and then together let's become a master peace. Amen? So, safe connections. I want you to think with me for just a moment. How can I become better? Think on a personal level for just a moment. And while you're thinking, I'm going to share with you something that happened as I ended the psalm series last year, I preached Psalm 151, my testimony. It's no secret, some of what I've been through in my childhood, I've shared bits and pieces of that. But something that I don't think I shared then, but if I did, I want to share more clearly now to show you how this safe connections works. I asked God to help me understand when my dad died in October of 2021, some of the unanswered questions that I didn't have in my mind that I couldn't get because he's no longer here and because even when he was here, would not share with me. And one day when I was sharing some things with my wife, it all came out. It just began to flow out. Uh, I think her term was just vomiting. I wasn't physically or literally, but just, you know, just, it was just coming forth like, like vomiting up things. And, and she realized, oh my goodness, you've dealt with this core fear of, core belief of uh, helplessness. That was an epiphany moment for me because I realized some things. And I realized that it was maybe a week or two later that something had triggered in my dad when I was seven years old, when his own dad died. And, and from that point on, things begin to shift and change and, and go from bad to worse. I can't answer for him. I, I pray God has, you know, forgiven him. I pray, you know, in fact, I prayed the day he died that, Lord, lay not any sin to his charge on my account, you know, and, and I hope to see him in eternity. But the reality is I learned a lot about myself. And in part, I learned that because I had a safe church I could connect with that knew my story. One of you came up to me one Father's Day, and, and it was a unique experience. And you, you thanked me, 
for being able to be vulnerable and yet share that and also thanked me because I had that issue that I could relate to. I felt safe to share it here with you in preaching one time. Again, Psalm 151. I felt safe with my wife to be able to share this. And in that safety, I was able to be vulnerable and learn more about myself and become better. One of the things I learned from that experience was this. I can't change where I came from, but I can change where I'm going. I can't change what happened to me, but I can change how I process it and what I make it mean going forward. And I can only do that, obviously, and first and foremost, because I have a Savior that loves me. I have a God that cares for me and knows me and wants to be known by me. But because I also had a safe church that would allow me to be authentic and real and not hide behind some shield or wall or, you know, facade. So this is what we're talking about when we say safe connections. Because there's other people who have faced things and if we can truly provide them a place where they can feel that hope and healing and know they're not going to be judged or condemned, feel that guilt or shame, but, but be able to share that. What happened Sunday with many of you who experienced a, a, a fresh anointing and, and a renewed uh, purpose, and some of you have a, a, a place where you can mark on the carpet. This is where God delivered or healed or sa- You know why you could experience that? Because this is a safe place where that can happen. And so that's what we are meaning when we share that and what the pastoral team, what my wife and I is sharing when we say safe connection. So I want us to stand together and we're going to close with prayer. And I want you to look inwardly for a moment. Pastor Lucas, I was able to look inwardly, and I'm still learning and and still getting better. But, you know, um, you can ask my wife later to confirm or deny, but done a lot better with some of the anger issues I used to have because I realized some things. I'm not blaming my dad. That's not my point. But I'm recognizing I did it in reaction to some of those things and, and the freedom to be able to understand that. And to not be judged when that moment happened. And, and then, well, you could have changed this 20 years ago. None of that happened. I can make positive changes going forward. Let's pray and ask God to reveal to us. Lord Jesus, I pray you would turn the searchlight on our hearts right now. That we ourselves, individually, would each be a place of safe connection. But of course, collectively, we would come together like that puzzle linked one with another to provide a place of safe connection where people can heal, where people can develop, where people can grow, where people can be changed and renewed and transformed by You, Lord. I pray that You would give us the resources and the tools through Your Word and through understanding of the body of Christ and even our physical bodies, how that we can make these applicable uh, changes in, in the way we react and respond to one another so that true hope and healing is experienced. Jesus, I thank You for the Church of Omaha. This week we've celebrated 24 years 
of this church being a light in this community. And God, I thank you that for as long as you tarry, there will be a light here that will forever grow. And God, we will plant and start other churches and send missionaries and and support them financially and prayerfully. But God, I pray that tonight that work would just begin to work to a greater level within each of us. That we would be a place of hope and healing. Not just the building, not just when we're here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but always. I ask it, I pray it, and I believe it, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now I want to mention next week, as Pastor Trevor was mentioning to us, we will be having Wednesday night, but it'll be a different kind of Wednesday night. We're going to have... Uh, more of like what you would experience on a Sunday. And uh, when I talked with uh, Brother and Sister Vernon, they both felt a witness of the Spirit with that. And so that'll happen Wednesday night and again Sunday the 30th. Um, And then, of course, Saturday night at 7 p.m., there's going to be a special prayer meeting uh, here uh, in the sanctuary. So invite you to be a part of that as well. And I believe God's going to do some more healing and some more deliverance and some more feeling of people So uh, let's come expecting next Wednesday in Jesus' name. God bless you.